Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. Well, I'm really excited about today's guest, Justin Adams. I'll introduce Justin in a minute, but Justin has previously spoken at our events at Purposeful Leader. But like many of my guests on Leadership Confessions, first and foremost, Justin is a friend. He's also a client, but he's a friend definitely first. Uh, And a few years ago, Justin and I embarked on one of our endurance challenges, which was to do the Arctic Circle Race in Greenland. It's uh, branded as the toughest ski race in the world. Uh, And so we spent our fabulous week together skiing and camping in some pretty frightening temperatures. So it's it's a great pleasure to welcome Justin today, who works at the World Economic Forum. Justin, how are you? Phil, I'm great. Very nice to uh, to be speaking to you and to be bringing back those memories of uh, of uh, minus 37 degrees or whatever it was. But yes, wonderful to be here. That was cold. Uh, so look, you work at the World Economic Forum, but just give us a brief overview. You, you'd be much better to do the intro of your role than me. Yeah, my role today is I'm the executive director of something called the Tropical Forest Alliance, which is a public-private partnership, which basically means bringing governments, business and civil society together focused on how we stop deforestation in the tropics and uh, and the recognition the only way we're going to do that is through collective action through you know what we can do together rather than what any individual organization or sector could do on their own so it's about partnership it's about uh, really solutions that work in the particular locale so that's different in Brazil, from Indonesia, from the Congo Basin in Africa. And so uh, huge scope, lots of variety, but enormously challenging and, uh, and, and very difficult. And I know you had a significant part to play at COP26 recently at Glasgow. I guess what would be fascinating to people who are listening, how have you ended up in this kind of position? What's led you to, to work at the World Economic Forum? Hmm. The journey is quite a, 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 it's not been a straight line. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I started out very much as a, the son of a very successful entrepreneur, a businessman. I studied business uh, with a view that business really was was sort of how you created opportunity and and uh, and growth in, in society. But then uh, in my university days and immediately after that, there was a number of experiences I had that really sort of drew me much closer to the environment. So I really sort of became interested in the climate debate back in the middle of the 1990s. And so what then became the challenge was how could I marry my sort of growing passion for addressing the environmental challenges we face with the the training and the sort of the upbringing I'd had, which was the role of business. And that's really been the journey ever since is how do you bring business together to solve the challenges that, that, that business in many ways created. And so it's been a long winding journey through small startup companies did a lot in the in the clean tech boom uh, with Silicon Valley, with BP building out their clean tech portfolio, and then through to one of the biggest uh, environmental organizations called the Nature Conservancy, a US uh, based conservation organization, and currently with the World Economic Forum leading these public private partnerships on again, bringing business and uh, and society together to actually solve the problems. So that's a snapshot of, of the journey. But that continues to drive me is that passion of bringing those two things together. Which is a very, you know, incredible journey that you've been on. What do you think some of those, the significant events that have really shaped who you've become? Because clearly, there must have been a few. 
<laughs> the significant events um, when I graduated, I worked with my father and uh, and had three and a half wonderful years working with him. But in a small business, you you really get a sense of what what business is about because you sort of have to touch all aspects of it. So that that was incredibly important for me. But uh, I guess to talk on the environment side. For me, it was spending time uh, in North America and having a chance to meet some Native American elders and just starting to understand the sort of journey that many indigenous peoples have been on and the sort of the wisdom that they've retained despite sort of now centuries of, of repression and, and, uh, and genocide. But that wisdom of living much more in balance with the world around us and how the current sort of model of economic development has taken us a long way from that balance. And so that that was the sort of, they were the sort of two original spurs that have sort of woven things together. But then as I sort of look through my career and the leadership journey that I've been on, being given you know, a, a very significant amount of responsibility when I was at, as part of BP's uh, senior leadership team, the opportunity to sort of really build quite a significant team, build a, a whole new business, BP Ventures, that we worked together on, Phil, back uh, mm-hmm. in the late 2000s. That was an extraordinary time in my career. But then you know, the, the juddering kind of uh, realization in April of 2010, when BP had the desperate Macondo blowout in the Gulf of Mexico mm-hmm. and seeing the oil spilling out daily uh, on that live stream that CNN was running with the oil spilling out into the Gulf and the desperate environmental and social damage that was being done by this company that I'd part poured sort of heart and soul into for many years. That was a real wake up call to me of kind of, you know, that we, we really do need to think about what we're taking responsibility for and how and where we're working. And when my then 12-year-old daughter, Jasmine, said to me, uh, Daddy, I thought you were working to try and help the environment, but this doesn't look like it. It was a real wake-up call for me then. And, uh, and that's then sort of driven the last 10 years of my journey, which has been a much more about the kind of the deeper role that nature, that our forests and... Uh, our oceans can play in climate cycle and also but the sort of the broader biodiversity crisis we're facing and that's that's really been the north star for me over this last decade and you know and an extraordinary set of adventures i've had uh, since then as well so so who inspires you in your journey to do what you do who inspires me now um I, I think there's still the inspiration of my father and that sort of entrepreneurial drive to to sort of get things done and make things happen in the world, and that still remains a kind of real uh, a real force for me. I think some of the elders that I've met uh, along the way and the sort of the deeper wisdom of of kind of what what what's being called for at a time of great transformation, these converging crises that we're facing, uh, and I think increasingly, you know. I'm also interested in then the role of cultural renewal. And uh, there's some really interesting leaders in that space around uh, around how can we actually reimagine the type of future that, that we want for our kids and grandkids. And so there's some there's some extraordinary work going on there and that in mythology and sort of ancient stories that uh, that is inspiring me and feeding me at a very deep level today. Uh, a mythologist down in Devon called Martin Shaw as one example of that. It's really cool, your journey, mate. What do you think your biggest <laughs> challenge has been as a leader? I call that two two key challenges. One for me, it's a continual lesson. It, it, it's that because I, I, I always see opportunity, then I start 
too many things. I create too much. Yeah, you know, I bring all of this energy and it sort of starts all of these things. And then I end up sort of two, three years down the line think, oh my goodness, how can I keep all these plates spinning? And so, and that's, that's exactly the journey I've been on the World Economic Forum. I came to run the Tropical Forest Alliance and then happened to start uh, a couple of other significant initiatives along the way. Uh, and, uh, and so, and it's just continually that sort of, you know, how do we actually slow down enough to really to connect to what's most important and whether you're focused on environmental challenges or or simply on the performance of your business it's i think there's a sort of lots of you know i think we're we're in a world that is that is speeding up right now at a time when we desperately need to slow down and i think that's that's a key key challenge for me and i i guess that then links to the second challenge which is a sort of continuing need to come back to purpose you know, what am I here for? Yeah. And it's easy to forget that. It's easy to get lost along the way. It's easy to think, oh, I'm just here to draw the paycheck. And yet I think for, for most of us, there's, there's so much opportunity. There's so much, you know, if we've been educated and we're in developed rich countries that, that most people listening to this would be, then really what are we here for? Because it's not about just making an extra buck. It's actually what journey are we on as individuals? And so coming back to that for me, uh, that helps me define what I'm leading for. So, as as the title of this podcast is Leadership Confessions, uh, it would be wrong of me not to ask you then. What what do you think has been your biggest mistake as a leader, and and what have you learned from it? I think my biggest mistakes have been two things. One, what I just said, starting too many things. Yeah. Yep. But at the same time, there's a light side to that. It's not just a dark side. The light side to it is that that you know. That, that enables and creates new opportunities, new possibilities. So that then goes to the second mistake, which is that, that sort of not investing enough in the people and developing the emerging leaders that can then actually sort of help drive, implement and make, make so many of the things happen. And, uh, um, you know, and more and more for me, it's about how, how can we support all of those around us to actually step up their own leadership and to encourage them to be right. And I, I guess that would then link to the third piece, which is that, and it's difficult, particularly, I guess, since I left private sector 10 years ago, you don't always have the same luxury of sort of moving people or, or letting people go, right? It's harder to sort of move people around and funding is different in, in terms of how it works in civil society. But keeping people in roles too long when the the, the, the organizational imperative might have changed and the skills needed, right? So it's that whole active management of your team and the support and mentoring that needs to go with that, that uh, uh, I guess that they're the mistakes that I've made. But uh, equally, when it goes right, the, the most wonderful thing as a leader is seeing, is seeing people flourish and come into their own, you know, their own blossoming, their own realization of just how much they can give. So... Professionally or personally, how have you overcome your biggest setbacks? What process do you put in, in play to overcome those things? I think my, you know, my natural instinct, I mean, I'm my biggest self-critic, right? And so my natural instinct is to then 
take myself off into a dark corner and beat myself up and give myself <laughs> a hard time, right? Which, which is, uh, yeah, particularly when I'm, I'm under-resourced or I'm tired or stressed, right? That's, that's the natural instinct. And, and, uh, and on occasions as well, then that can then sort of result in more of a sort of a, an outburst or sort of, sort of anger that comes out. And, and, yeah, and I think over the years, you sort of realize more and more that, that, that's a desperately unhelpful place to be. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Uh, that actually it's at those times that you've got to stitch yourself back together and, and say, uh, we're all making mistakes. We're making mistakes each and every day. And it's actually how we learn from those. And so I guess the simplest sort of motto that really has sort of come up for me, I've sort of got it written on my desk is be kind, right? And it's, and it's actually mostly about being kind to myself and not continually giving myself a hard time that I'm not doing enough, I'm not trying hard enough. And I think particularly in the environment movement when the crisis, the challenges we're facing are so immense um, that we all sort of take on this sort of sense of, oh my goodness, we've got to do more, we've got to do more because the, you know, the, the urgency of the problem is just getting, uh, is ever greater. And, and actually being kind to myself is, you know, it's, I can't solve it all on my own. And so, it's it's so more and more it's it's that kindness that I think is now so important and the kinder I am to myself the kinder I can be to everybody around me and then you know the kinder maybe we can we can ultimately be to our communities and to the way in which we live. Mate, I think that's a really really insightful lesson for for many people listening. Do you feel like you're winning in 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 the challenge that you have on, on climate? <laughs> I'm not even sure winning and losing is necessarily the right, the, the, the sort of right framing for, for, for this anymore. I think if I look back on Glasgow and the climate summit, um, I think there's an awful lot that people can be proud of. Um, I'm particularly proud of how central the forest agenda was, the nature agenda was. It's what I've spent the last decade focused um, uh, so hard on. And so there was lots and lots of things I feel great about. There's lots of things where we're, you know, where we continue to make progress. The way the business community showed up in Glasgow, I've been to many of the, of the COPs. This is the 26th COP. Uh, so there's been many before that. And uh, um, this is the first time the business community has showed up in such a powerful uh, and joined up way. And so the fact that, that it's becoming so much more mainstream in the conversation says that there's there's real momentum there's 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 things that are really there's the things really are starting to shift and yet the science tells us that we're not doing nearly enough to avoid catastrophic impacts of uh, of, of a changing climate and so i think we are still needing to sort of engineer much bigger changes than than the current economic and political realities are going to allow so, Justin, we talked about how you overcome your biggest setbacks. Let, let's look on the positive. When, when do you feel that you're at your very best? What, what things do you put in place? Or when, when's Justin Adams really in the flow? Describe that to us. I think one of the things that, that when I'm really at my best is when I'm really taking the time to sit with a team member and helping them see their potential, helping them see how they can overcome a challenge and see right and actually to be that sort of playing that role of mentor just seeing the sort of the sparks sort of flying and i'd say the other situation where i i'm really in that flow is is when you see a new possibility so let me give you an example phil if i go back to september 2019 new york climate week all of the climate community together there was a 
buzz around a new science paper that had come to tree planting or a trillion trees that uh, had come out earlier that summer. Several philanthropists questions about really what can we do to accelerate nature-based solutions as a climate opportunity. And that's, that's what I'd been spending the last seven, eight years of my life focused on. And so we sit around the table. Mark Benioff is the CEO, founder of Salesforce, an enormously successful um, CRM company. And, uh, and, and so we start talking about it. And I can sort of lay out what are the opportunities to, to, to do this. And, and uh, three months later, we launched the Trillion Tree platform, 1T.org, at Davos 2020, infamously supported by, uh, by then President Trump. Um, and uh, the Chinese uh, vice premier, uh, as well as the Saudis, so quite a quite a combo of of players. But but it has done it, it's been incredibly catalytic in terms of driving the role that restoration can play as a as a part of our uh, as a part of the climate crisis. And so it's that spark that comes together that that really when I'm in that flow, and that's what I'm able to to sort of harness and channel. And that that's that's what I love to do. Yes, another great story. So if that's you at your best, what, what really rattles your cage? What makes your blood boil? You talked about earlier, actually, about, you know, occasionally uh, losing your temper a bit. What makes that happen? I think, uh, well, I think ultimately it's a frustration with myself. Because it's, uh, but it's, I guess it's intolerance and intolerance for mediocrity. I think that's always been a kind of a challenge for me, right? There's such a sort of passion that burns in me that, that, that then there's a sort of an expectation that everybody else has got to be similarly driven, similarly sort of passionate about it. And of course, that's that's my journey. That's my story. That's not everybody else's story. And so it's a sort of an intolerance of when somebody's not trying hard enough or isn't doing their best. Right. So I think it's 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 that that rattles my cage. And 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 the the sort of other piece is sort of just and you see it particularly when you're trying to get all of these different actors and organizations to partner together it's it's egos that actually stop so much right egos wanting to claim credit egos worried that they're the ones who are going to sort of yeah that they want to be the ones on top and and I, I i will say it's invariably male egos although it's not uh it's not uh uh um it's not only men but uh it's that masculine energy that tries to sort of constantly come out on top which I think is inhibiting so much of what we need to get done in the world. And, and that's uh, because we're only going to succeed. I said at the beginning, we're only going to succeed with some of these challenges by, uh, by partnering, by collective action. It's not something we can do individually. And that, that's a whole new way of being. It's a whole new way of how businesses are going to operate in the future as well, I think, if we're, if we're serious about sustainability. This podcast is is here to you know I run a leadership development business and and that's what this podcast is is meant to to help provide. What what advice would you share for aspiring leaders or, or leaders out there in in, the, in our community? I would encourage anybody to really understand who they are as a leader. You know, we we can read books, we can sort of listen to podcasts, and sort of pick up hints from others and how they're leading. But I think for my journey, it's about becoming more and more comfortable with who you are as a leader. You've got a unique mm -hmm. perspective, you've got unique gifts, and it's about how do you come into you know, full alignment with who you are as a leader and not try to be somebody else, not try to be you know, some heroic CEO leader that you've seen sort of, or you've read their autobiography of. 
find out who you are as a leader. And the sooner you can do that, the more you're going to be able to, uh, to, to, to achieve with your own leadership. Yeah, I love that answer, mate. What's on your personal development plan at the moment? What are you working on? So for me, so part of coming into alignment with who I am as a leader and part of kind of what's probably you know, been peppered through this discussion is that, that you know, it's about fully embracing who I am. And, and a lot of that right now is about actually understanding more of what sits in the shadow of me as a person and, and so much of what we've learned and what we expect in the business world and uh, in so much of kind of what we expect of leadership today is this idealized sort of ego image that we project to the rest of the world. This is who I am. This is the, and I've got this wonderful kind of, you know, persona that is this polished professional that can, you know, talk passionately about these issues and stand there in my sort of suit and tie. And, and yet that, that's not the entirety of who I am. And there's a sort of lot of other stuff packed away that, that, uh, you know, Carl Jung talked about this sort of shadow, but but the other thing he says is that 90% of the shadow is pure gold, right? And actually, the more I dig into some of these repressed parts of myself or hidden parts of myself, actually, the the more opportunities I've got to become fully myself and to step into sort of who I am as a leader that that isn't just that sort of clipped professional, but but it it weaves different parts of myself uh, into that, and I, I that. That sort of journey now of, I guess, integrating the whole, integrating the darker repressed sides of the self, uh, in addition to the sort of projected idealized side of myself is is very much where my journey is today. So so what advice would you give a younger Justin Adams starting out again? You know, if you were to go back into your early 20s, what coaching would you provide to yourself? I think to have had the I mean, what I described to you earlier, the, the sort of, you know, this business world that I was living in and then just sort of opening up of sort of an environmental worldview, uh, an indigenous people's worldview that, that and, and really trying to sort of reconcile those two, I think to be more confident of, of living with that sort of duality as opposed to sort of trying to sort of force fit everything into to, to, to who I thought I should be as a leader. And to sort of figure that out a little bit earlier than uh, getting to to midlife, and then you figure it out then. And uh, so, uh, so I think, yeah, having that confidence earlier on. And um, what does the future hold? What does the next ten years look like for you? You've talked about your career, you know, following BP uh, and the journey you've been on. What about the next ten? Well, I uh, I've actually just uh, announced that I'm stepping down from the WEF and the Tropical Forest Alliance in uh, Q1 of next year, and. Uh, I am going to be joining a uh, a large investment platform in London to be deploying capital into some of these solutions and to be really championing partnership as a as a as a sort of critical way of how the finance industry needs to allocate capital to to solve the climate challenge. So that's that's where that's going, but I think in addition it's sort of also this deeper work about sort of getting us all to be stepping back and thinking who are we where and how do we live on this planet in a in a lighter way and asking some of those questions i think is going to become a, an increasingly important part of that for me as well so um so yeah i'm incredibly excited for the next 10 years and 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 yeah let me also just say i'm 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 optimistic that whilst change is coming i mean we're living through these extraordinary converging crises today 
uh, the climate crisis, obviously the COVID sort of pandemic that, that continues to dog us, the economic and political kind of turmoil that surrounds us. Um, I think you know, we, we are, we're living in extraordinary times that, that require transformation, but fundamentally that's about personal transformation first and foremost. And that's what gives me hope. I think the human spirit is incredibly resilient. And I think these are times that are, that are calling that out. Uh, excellent. Sounds like a, a wonderful opportunity and good luck in that. Uh, a few uh, quick fire questions to, to close off. Uh, what's your guilty pleasure? I've thought about this before. I still didn't come up with a good answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think just escaping, escaping to the mountains on my own. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a bit of me time. Yeah, love it. What would you put in room 101? Uh, the district or the, the parish councillors that can't figure out the parking <laughs> on the bloody high street. I mean, it's, 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 we can put people on the moon, we can get a vaccine in 12 months and we can't, we can't figure out a simple traffic problem. <laughs> uh, what are you hopeless at? DIY. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm... And changing tyres on a bike ride. Yeah. I think I share both of those with you, Phil. You do, absolutely. We both look at one another and go, who's going to fix this puncher? <laughs> um, uh, and then lastly, what makes you smile? My family, my kids, my wife. Um, yeah, the joy. I guess, well, life. I'm looking out the window at the beautiful woods and even in the deepest of winter, there's still, there's still such incredible, incredible beauty here and i think the more we learn to celebrate beauty i think that also is is a big part of where the future's going to be written justin thank you it's a real honor to call you a friend you know sharing many experiences with you and many laughs along the way uh, thank you for all your insights today mate it's been remarkable you're a remarkable person and i wish you all the best in your new venture thank you thank you phil and uh, thanks for doing these great podcasts <laughs> cheers mate Leadership Confessions from Clarity Leadership. Email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released.